Hello and welcome to 100% Real with Ruby. Today I have Paula Rastrick on and she is a woman that is just someone who entirely does, devotes herself to her craft in that when she's passionate about something she goes full balls into it because there is a reason for everything that she does and why she does what she does and what Paula does is she helps many women through the crossroads of the menopausal transition through our midlives overcome chronic stress anxiety she helps them through their psychology through their somatic aka their body experience because a lot of the time we go through the world and we're just especially as women we're doers we want to check boxes we want to get things done busy 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 but in doing that, we don't allow ourselves to slow down, to understand ourselves and our emotions. And our emotions, whether we allow them to or not, subconsciously or in a fully aware state yet unable to do anything about it, they impact our lives, our thoughts, our actions, the way we think about ourselves, the way we interact in our day-to-day -day lives. This can then lead to the way that we are around food, emotional eating, binge eating, undereating, overeating, overexercising, purging through exercise, restricting through food, whatever it is. We're in this, what she likes to call highly functional state. We set unrealistic expectations and standards. And in doing that, we are already setting ourselves up for failure because they're already unrealistic. We're striving for a level of perfectionism that doesn't exist. So with that, I'll allow Paula to introduce herself and to address this topic of emotional regulation, how the body knows more than we are aware of, and how our highly functioning state can set us up for failure in so many aspects of life and feeling like a letdown. Hi, Ruby. Thanks for having me. Um, so I'll just basically start with introducing the fact that I am that woman. So everything that I talk about everything I talk about on my social media, everything I talk about, I'm just about to start writing a book, is based on my story, my experiences, my thoughts, my feelings, my beliefs, everything. Um, and the reason that I'm doing that is because of some of the stuff that I've been through myself and my life um, has started to resonate with other women. And I think once you get permission, someone else says, look, this is me, then other women start to recognise firstly themselves and also it just gives you a bit of permission to say, okay, it's not just me because we have this ingrained habit, I think, of women my age particularly as well, that we live in our heads, we're very head focused, we're very up in our heads all the time. And the way that I describe this is we are actually quite disconnected from our bodies. It may feel like that we are doing our exercise, we're doing this, we're eating, we're doing all that. But when you think about, we, we spend so much of our lives in our heads. That's what I mean by being disconnected from our feelings and our um, sensations that are coming from the body. And how many times do we dismiss those feelings coming from the body? Because we're not, we're not really um, allowing our body to tell us what it needs to tell us. It's 
it's communicating. So I ignored that. I mean, I'm a yoga teacher and I've done every single coping strategy in my life. I mean, there's probably not, you know, from alcohol to, you know, drugs, I'm going to be honest, to, you know, my teens, everything I've done. Um, and it's only since 2017 when I started perimenopause that my body was speaking to me. So it was screaming at me. So when it's screaming at you and you try to override it and you've been overriding that for many years, your nervous system will stop you. And that's what happened to me in essence, really. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's like we try to suppress versus yeah. ignore versus regulate. How does that then show up in our day-to-day lives, especially as women like my audience would be in wanting to change our lives for a healthier, fitter version of ourselves and be confident within our body? So the thing about the body and the brain, because that's really where I, where I um, sit. So we, we know how complex the brain is, right? But the brain is now starting to become a subject of lots of conversations now. I mean, you know, we're talking more about dementia. We're talking more about Alzheimer. We're talking more about brain health, brain inflammation, cognitive debt, which is something that I like to stress. Well, cognitive debt is that kind of stress that you put on the brain. You know, when we are actually living in our brains all the time and we're constantly overthinking, I mean, I'm what's called a highly sensitive person. Now, when you look at neurodiversity, I have a little bit of an argument about the the neurodiverse language we use. I believe we've all, I mean, every single person in this world has a different brain. So what's normal and what's not normal? Who decided that this brain was normal and not normal? We have all got different brains. So your brain is a predictive type of um, machine, we'll say, organism. And it's, you know, you think about your life experiences um, and how the brain and the body interact. So about 80% of communication is sent from the body to the brain through your senses, through that sensory information. The body is then sending the information to the brain. The brain is then making sense of that information and I think people don't realize that so when you get any kind of physical sensation in your body that happens so quickly it goes to the brain the brain interprets that data and it's probably predicting and scanning so what it's thinking you know what it's doing is going backwards in time to to previous experiences to try to make sense of the sensations in the body and then it's predicting a level of safety because really everything that the brain and nervous system is wired to do is to either protect you or connect you so you're either making connections moving towards connecting with others or moving into a survival state so the brain is quite simplistic in terms of the survival states and that's the difference that that this is made to me is understanding the survival states of the brain and the body and then being able to better interpret the the sensations and symptoms from the body what is the body telling me what do i need to do does that make sense rather than it being up all in your head trying to interpret what's happening in your body 
it should be the other way round, which is a little bit a little bit of a like, what is she talking about? Um, um, does that make any sense? So some way that you guys can make sense of this is a lot of us are too busy doing, doing, doing that yes. the brain is doing all of this stuff, but your brain isn't designed to organize. It's not designed to make sense of things because you need your visual spectrum for that. You need to put onto paper. You need to allow yourself to try to join the dots and reflect and slow down. But if you're not allowing that to happen, it's going to show up in forms of self-sabotage, in forms of defensive, defensive yeah. strategies. Protective and this is where strategies. I want to this is where I want to lead the conversation now for you to talk about signs that your brain is stuck in survival mode and how that can show through our actions and how we can then find ways to, I guess, coping strategies and regulation yeah. strategies. I would say the biggest thing that I've learned, I mean, look, I've done a lot of learning. I've done a lot of, I've always been involved with the brain. So it's not something that's recent for me. When I worked in my previous um, uh, psychology, um, sports psychology, I looked at the brain as a, a performance enhancing. So I would work with professional players and it would be about the connections between the brain and the body and injury and pain. So my background is from pain science and performance all i've done is taken all of that research then started to look at it and pull it over to um midlife women so i would one of the biggest things that i would say the easiest ways to learn about this if people want to learn is to look at polyvagal theory look at stephen porges's work on polyvagal theory because what it's doing is it's now giving you the states of the nervous system. So when we actually understand the actual states of our nervous system, so for example, if you mention the fight flight response, now your body's designed to go into these states in an emergency, right? And what I think is happening is, is that the stress response is staying dialed up in the fight flight state so you're supposed to go up into that state for an emergency situation the body releases the hormones you're in a fight flight state then you're supposed to come back down to your connected state what's called the social engagement state and that's where you're regulated your thinking's good because your prefrontal cortex is online the amygdala is offline because let's face it, the fear center of the brain is what's driving that that response. But many of us are not going back down into that regulated state. We're staying in long periods in the fight, flight, stress response. Those chemicals, those hormones, cortisol, adrenaline, all of these hormones are now surging through the body and they are and you're staying in that response for too long you're thinking if you think about it what does your thinking do it matches the state of your system so if you're in fight flight you're going to be very very impatient possibly angry possibly like i need to get this done i need to get this done i need to get your your thinking starts to be driven by that state and i think what people think is that it's their thinking that drives that state it comes from the nervous system response first, then the chemicals and the hormones 
and then the thinking afterwards. So your thinking would be along the lines of, you know, anger, rage, I've been there, um, impatience, um, no tolerance. You can't think straight. You probably you've got brain fog, you know, and that happens in the reverse. I'll talk about the other states in a second. But these and if I talk about menopause, think about how many menopause anxiety, high stress responses. Anxiety is a physiological, emotional state. And what people do is we become almost conditioned to think that anxiety is who we are. So I am an anxious person. I have anxiety. Your nervous system state is in high alert, hyper arousal. You are going to have anxiety as a continuous emotional state. Does that, does that make sense? You are not anxiety. Your nervous system is in a fight flight response, hyper arousal. And that is when people start to get the sense of anxiety and overwhelm and uh, I can't cope. That's coming from the nervous system and the responses from the nervous system. And some of us have stayed in that chronic state, which means our stress response is highly sensitive. And if you're a more sensitive person like me, you are more prone to higher levels of that stress response. Your stress dial is heightened. That alarm is louder, it's higher. And that's why we need to look at the brain and the nervous system when we talk about this stuff. Do you find that many women aren't even aware of the state they're in because it's become their normal? Yeah, so that is a really, really good point. I was not aware. I've spent all of my life as a high functioning stress head. So I am a highly functioning, super stressed, successful person. And when I say successful, I don't mean successful money wise. I mean, I function and it's almost become it's it became my norm. It's my normal state. Um, but then I got to 45 and I had a breakdown when I hit perimenopause. Because when you hit perimenopause and you've been living in your constant state all your life and functioning, when the hormones start to shift in perimenopause, you are far more vulnerable. And that's where my area is. It's that understanding and recognising the relationship between your hormones, your nervous system and your brain. And what is your body telling you? Because your body is communicating to you. And so anxiety is a communication. You know, brain fog is overwhelm, anger, rage. I mean, that's probably the most, I would say most of my life was spent in anger, would be my kind of default defensive mode. So no, I don't think we do realise that we have these nervous system states. I think we live in our thoughts and we live in our thinking and we keep going round in circles. So I think that's something that I feel could benefit people to understand if you're I living actually, with that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. But I want to change your I think to I know because it is very, very apparent that this is why, like, look around us. So many people 
I'm like, I'm trying to relate everything that Paula is saying to the pursuit of wanting a certain physique or a certain performance because it's all tied together. The behavior aspect, the brain aspect in living your full, because a lot of the time we say that we want this particular physique, we want weight loss, we want this body image, but that isn't truly the goal that we want. We want to live a more fulfilled life. We want to be happy, don't we? We want to feel peaceful. That's actually what everyone wants. They want this sense of of peace and who they are and, you know, this kind of sense of purpose and belonging. That's kind of really what it comes down to. Because once you have that joy in your life, that fulfillment, you won't find the need, which I'm about to talk about to bring in the next topic, but you won't find the need so much to control your body to try to get down to this leaner state where you're never really happy. I mean, when's the next level of lean? Like, it's a lot of people fear this because it's almost like they're giving up on their body and they're going to end up like a fat elephant, but it's like, no, it's not in living in this more fulfilled state. You will live your best life. You will, because your most fulfilled state is a healthy body. It's a fit body. It's a body that moves around. It's a body that loves getting oxygenated that treats itself with self-care when self-care sometimes means showing up and getting in the exercise because you know, it's good for your health and it makes you feel good. But like you were saying, we live in fight and flight all day long, especially post-COVID, which is what we were talking about before I clicked record on the podcast. We're living in a more a heightened state of survival mode with everything chaotic that's going around, which is why we come up against sticking points in our pursuit for a better life, for a happier life, for a more in-tune life with our bodies. How many people wake up every morning and step on the scale and let that dictate what your life is going to look like that day, how yeah. your mood is going to be, how you feel in your body is dictating your mood instead of connecting into your body. What does she need right now? Yeah. And we try to fit an image to belong for relatedness because we're not slowing down to understand ourselves. So we try to be understood by other people instead, which is where we, again, self-sabotage. And you said this in a post, which is what I'm leading up to now. We try to control it. And in doing that, we busy ourselves. The need to do more, to be more, to have more, to be more, to do more. What exactly is this chase of busy, of ticking the boxes? And why does that happen? How can we regulate this? What do you teach to women to be able to regulate? I don't want to say control. No, because you can't. I mean, so I think because one of the things about um, busyness is a really depends on how you the individual looks at their busyness. So, for example, I'll give you an example of my busyness. Okay, my busyness um, was a protective strategy. I now realize that it's a protective strategy to stop me from being able to think about the things that happened to me in my childhood. So some of us develop being busy as a a protective strategy to make sure we don't have to think about what we're trying to suppress. So it's it becomes a habit, right? If you were to ask me, I've never processed the emotions or allowed myself to actually acknowledge, not even process, acknowledge. I think people, you know, if you if you look back to your, I would reckon many women when they go back to their childhoods, we're not saying, I'm not saying that, you know, my uh, trauma from my childhood was my parents' fault. It was a mixture and a very complex things that happened to me, right? But if you're not 
um, actually allowing yourself to have emotions. So, for example, me, I never cry. I never I never um, I stay in defense mode because defense mode has become the way for me to survive. So it becomes a habitual habit. And this is what I don't think people realize is that they're not actually realizing that they're living in survival mode. It's become the norm. So if it becomes your normal state, how do you know that there's another state? You don't because it's your norm, right? It's it's almost like a conditioning now. Now, when we think about I, I, my mum had an, um, disordered eating. OK, so I don't. But my mum did. And I watched some of that. Right. Again, that can be a protective type of strategy, can't it? It's like a control. It's like you are in control of one aspect of your life because everything else feels out of control. So you want to control what you can control. So that becomes maladaptive coping strategies it can be eating it can be alcohol it can be any of the above it can be lots of things for each person but when you start to realize what's driving what's driving that behavior why then you start to take a step back and peel a layer away i'm pretty sure that a lot of women have got things in their past that they are avoiding now that is not to say so i just want to make this clear when we talk about the avoidance strategies, it doesn't mean that you have to go backwards and start opening up about trauma or events or life things that have happened. You don't need to do that. We now know you can process trauma through the body. You don't need to go into the memory. So what I do, particularly if someone wants to go into it, that's fine. We use tools like EMDR. We can do, um, you know, specific trauma tools but I would say for most people that that want to just understand their body is to look at the vagus nerve training that's what I do vagus nerve because that's what polyvagal theory is based on the vagus nerve communicates from the brain the body the gut all through all of the vital organs so by understanding the vagus nerve doing things to regulate that that vagus nerve which is connected to your gut that would be my first look that up because that's that's something that you can start to little tools and techniques so what i do is i have multiple tools and techniques because i'm just like that as a person so in my work we would do somatic work we would look at the body first the nervous system state how can we start to regulate the nervous system? So you are in a state of fight or flight. How do we bring you back down to what's called that social engagement state? Through vagus nerve training. So you would do somatic body work. Then we would look at, I personally, what I do is then I explore what's called the parts of you, you as a person. And that's based on, um, I, uh, uh, yeah. So looking at your parts, we've all got those parts. I mean, people talk about inner child. I personally don't use that term because it can be it can be triggering for some people. Right. But those parts of your psyche, those parts of you that are not being heard, the parts of you that are being dismissed and shoved away. They're the parts you need to listen to. And so, again, without going into that deep, 
if you are talking about and I know your area is around the body eating scales you've mentioned that what parts of you are you not addressing because there will be those parts and if you don't address them that's what's going to sabotage you that's what's going to stop you from moving forward and the IFS thing is something that the team therapist brings up quite a lot in the fact that there's someone in there's someone that's trying to protect us that will subconsciously have us do actions have us think things and carry out oh, a certain behavior in order to protect us it's but all then about then protection yeah it's all about this is what the one thing everything is about survival and protection right so if you just drill it even down to that am i protecting or connecting what is my body doing here and we are mostly in protection mode and this is a great and like a great segue to just link back to the survival mode that our body goes into when you've crashed dieted for ages mm -hmm. your body senses this and it's going to be every single diet that you thus then try to follow thereafter is going to get harder and harder your metabolism your metabolism is going to get more stubborn and more stubborn because your body and your brain want to protect you That's and it. just like you were saying it's almost like we are missing out of something something in our lives something that we need like mary maslow's hierarchy of needs that whole thing we're missing something in our lives so we try to stay busy or we try to fix our bodies or we try to find something that we can control in our lives which ends up being we can control our bodies we can control our food we can exercise but we end up taking it to a level that is not actually beneficial for us or serving us it becomes like paula said maladaptive or on the other hand, which is something that you can bring into this as well. So I'm going to throw three different aspects at you for the next part. It's we get a chance to rest, to slow down, whether it's at night or on weekends. And then we see that as an opportunity to then eat. We attach food to relaxation. And that in itself is a form of self-sabotage. Now, that aspect tied in with the fact that why, why do women have a more sensitive nervous system but then like you mentioned with the vagus nerve because one of my perimenopausal ladies i quote unquote healed her gut by addressing the fact that she was a highly stressed person she had all these perfectionist tendencies we reduced that pretty much 75 percent. there is still 25 percent, and it's raging and roaring that she's still working through but that in itself healed all her gut issues the, the IBS she was having, the everything. And this is how important the stuff that Paula is talking about is. And in with the gut health, the sensitive nervous system, how does perimenopause then trigger this more? So in my experience and the experience of many women that I am speaking to, right, this is one of my, my big passions is that, um, if we were to simply say this, every single woman, if you arrive at perimenopause through the aging process, I'm not talking through about surgical menopause, okay, because that's a completely different thing. But every single woman that arrives at perimenopause at, through the aging process, okay, takes with them their life story, which is already imprinted into your nervous system. You don't just arrive at perimenopause, your hormones start fluctuating, you get loads of symptoms, and all of a sudden it's just perimenopause. 
and this is one of the things that I'm trying to combat on social media because when you arrive at that junction and your hormones start to fluctuate, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, that is a window of vulnerability for women. And it's the same when pregnancy. So for example, I've made the links when I was pregnant, had my son, I had postnatal depression after. But that's my life story entwined with my hormones. Some women are more vulnerable. We have more sensitive nervous systems. Now, if I've got a trauma background, which I do, my brain is already more sensitive because the brain changes through trauma in childhood. Some of us are born genetically with a more sensitive brain and nervous system. That would be, you would be called the highly sensitive person. That's just who you are, right? That is a personality, temperament and trait. And we've already got that. So we've got our genes, we've got our environment. When you get to perimenopause and the hormones start to shift, this appears to be a window of vulnerability for women because symptoms start to increase, sensitivity to symptoms increases. And when you understand what the hormones actually do, which is what I've done, and you understand how they regulate the brain and the nervous system, they're not just hormones in your reproductive system. You've got estrogen in the brain, you've got um, progesterone, testosterone. They're all neuromodulators, right? So when you start to understand that they are neuromodulators, and if your estrogen's dropping, progesterone's the first one, by the way, and what you've got to understand is progesterone is actually your calming hormone. And progesterone gets a little bit of a bad rap, I think. It's almost like the poor relation. It's like, don't talk about, we only talk about estrogen. Your first thing to go in perimenopause is progesterone and it, and it literally crashes. That is a calming hormone in your body. It promotes GABA. So if you think about that dropping off a cliff, then bring oestrogen in. Now, if you drop off a cliff with progesterone, one of the biggest things that I'm saying to women is if you don't want to take HRT, if you want to take HRT, that's fine, right? It's supposed to be there to help top up your hormones, not, not push you to the point where you're taking HRT at super physiological doses, which is what happened to me. That's a different story. But if you look at your progesterone, look at things like What's in your diet? What can you, magnesium, look at quality supplements that can help with that GABA response. Look at the, the calming hormones, right? And there's multiple. I mean, you, you know, you might know more than me. I've got, um, I'm researching. But oh, the, the um, this is what's where it called? Estrogen. I want to say this is where food can play in as well, because tryptophan and serotonin. Yeah are major ones here and tryptophan and serotonin work together. Tryptophan, so many women fear carbs, but hello, carbs actually help. Why else do people get carb comas after eating a high carb meal on Turkey day? What's that day? Thanksgiving day. Because yep. there's the carbs, there's the full stomach. Allowing yourself to not be afraid of quote unquote, the right carbs, like complex carbs, starches, potatoes, oats, that can actually benefit you through perimenopause. Food is, diet is massive. Exercise, I mean, all the pillars of health anyway, right? Regardless, which, you know, you know I don't know what it's like over there, but we seem to have a little bit of, we're, we're, we're kind of struggling a bit in the UK because 
it's being overtaken by HRT all the time. But let's just go back to the basic pillars of health, which we know, right, which is sleep, which is and then people will say, well, I can't sleep. So again, you're going around in a bit of a vicious cycle. And again, let's go back to the stress response, because if your body is producing too much cortisol, as you will know, it what does it do? It tries to protect you. It, and women talk about this layer of extra, you know, fat or air, layer of extra. We've got to look at the whole package rather than just look at one thing, the hormones, because the hormones are part of a dynamic system. It's all connected. We're made up of multiple dynamic systems. So I think we need to widen the lens away from just the hormones. We need to look at why the hormones are important. Absolutely. But how are they interacting with the rest of your systems, your gut, your digestion, your immune system, your musculoskeletal system, you know, your nervous system. And I look at it from a nervous system perspective because that's how I've managed to look at it from my own perspective. But you've got to look at how the nervous system interacts with all of those systems. We can't just look at it in this isolated way of, you know, and if you're talking about it from your area, all of those responses, you've already talked about the gut, they are going to be linked to your hormones changing in perimenopause. And I think we've, we've got to remember we are biologically designed to go through menopause, through the ageing process. I'm not saying it's easy. I had a terrible time, right? But the more you understand it, I didn't understand it in 2017. That's why I'm doing this work. The more you understand your hormones, what they do in your brain and your nervous system, estrogen is a fiery type of hormone, okay? It's an excitatory hormone, okay? So you need these balances and you can get that through other ways. And you look at testosterone, a great one, you know, energy. We look at that from a kind of, that's an excitatory kind of, again, there are multiple other ways to facilitate these shifts in hormones. I didn't know any of that. So again, I would get myself educated. And I think that's what people are doing now about the role of these hormones within your brain and your nervous system. And if you don't want to take HRT, that's absolutely fine. I agree with Ruby. I think there are multiple ways you can take back control of your hormone fluctuations through understanding those systems. There yeah. are multiple. Does that make sense? It really, really does. And especially when you touched on the low estrogen, how how does low estrogen then impact how we respond to things and how our brain responds? So from my perspective, I've got a highly sensitive brain. OK, so that maybe I was born genetically. I mean, one in three of us are born with a more sensitive brain. OK, but your environment, your childhood environment will also give you a more responsive, alert brain. OK, it's it's the hyper arousal. You have a, a sensitive alarm system. Let's call it that. Right. Your stress response is more heightened. The amygdala. OK, the limbic system. Now, when oestrogen drops, oestrogen does play a role in sensory processing and also in the amygdala and multiple other areas. You may find your stress response is dialed up. It is more responsive. And that's because oestrogen and progesterone as well are regulating that. So for me, you've got two options. And I mean this in the basic terms. You can take HRT, which absolutely does help women. There, there's, there's no denying that at, at physiological levels. 
However, some women don't want to or don't need to take it. I wouldn't suggest taking it if you don't need to. You can work on regulating your nervous system through the process of what I've just been talking about, which is to learn about the vagus nerve. Also, how much time do you give yourself? How much love do you give yourself? And I don't mean that in a cheesy way. If you're running around like a complete stress head all of the time, you're just simply dialing up that stress response, aren't you? And you're going back round in a circle. So one of my suggestions is, is to not look at it as stress de-stressing. So when you say um, people should do, you know, people think I think, oh, I need to do meditation and I can't do that. I can't do meditation either, right? Okay, I can't do it. My brain's too busy. Does that make, yeah? I got a question from yeah. someone put inside our little question box why is it difficult to meditate when stressed now that you mentioned it yeah exactly because when you're in a heightened stress response and all those hormones are pumping around your body and your thinking is matching your nervous system state how difficult do you think that is because you're trying to address the mind aren't you you're sitting still and you're trying to quiet in the mind but if your nervous system is in fight flight response and that physiological state Calming the mind is virtually impossible because your your body is telling your brain you're in danger. So the amygdala is online, your prefrontal cortex is, cortex is offline, and you're trying to solve all that with more thinking. It doesn't work. Does that? There's there's a quote there's a quote that goes you can't solve a thinking problem with more with thinking. more thinking. That's exactly what I've just said. So you know, and I think this is what we're missing is this understanding of the body the body first and then i mean if you want to meditate you know when you want to learn to meditate do that later but first of all address the nervous system and the body first this leads into her next question because like i just said you can't solve an overthinking problem with more thinking you need to move the body you need to use the body her question is are there somatic body therapy recommendations to help instead of talking I've done years of talking. I think the combination of body work would help immensely. Yes. And the answer to that is yes. That's a big resounding yes. That's what I've learned. So look, I'm a yoga teacher. I started doing yoga many years ago after postnatal depression. I can tell you categorically, I fell in love with yoga. I was um, obsessed. Um, I studied the philosophy of yoga. I'm a very thinking person. Okay. I'm very, I like to know the whys. To that carried on with yoga still did not actually address the nervous system so yes you can do lots of body work but if you don't understand why you're doing it so for example what I do now is I'm going to be doing yoga but I'm doing it through somatics because I now understand moving the body into different states physiological responses to calm the nervous system is the goal of that yoga if you're doing yoga like I was doing Ashtanga, and you were doing a vigorous type of yoga and wanted to look really good doing the poses because you could do them. And you were doing it because you knew yoga was good for you, but actually the intention of the yoga was a physical exercise. You're not going to address the body because the intention of what you're doing isn't that purpose. So I would suggest that when you enter into somatic work, you understand the reasoning behind what you're doing. So I'm going to be doing yoga based on polyvagal theory, 
which is the nervous system responses. So we move the body with the intention of working with the nervous system. And you can look that up, look up polyvagal theory, look up, I tell you who my, my mentor is, my absolute, is a woman called Dr. Arielle Schwartz. Look her up, look on her YouTube. I'm not there yet, I haven't got to that point. She is, I will literally say to you, the most amazing human. She's got free videos, okay? I'm doing some more training with her um, starting soon. Go on her YouTube, she's got videos on there. I haven't got that yet. I'm there going go. to put a bunch of resources down below at the end as well, if you guys want to check the description of this. Another question. How can you teach a brain to trust itself more? OK, so that goes back into the um, the brain and the nervous system again through somatics. So we now know that if you don't address the body, again, going back to what we just said, the brain is reacting to the input coming in from the body, isn't it? So if you think about your sensory input, so your brain is, your body is detecting first. It's happening in split seconds through your senses. That information is then sent to the brain. The brain is then going to predict whether it's dangerous or not. That's basically how it works, okay? The brain's going to use a prediction strategy and then it's going to go back and say what happened before and try to match the data. So it's all about the state of the nervous system. If your breathing is regulated, so for example, if you get triggered, that's a good way, triggered. Why do you get triggered? Okay, someone says something to you, right, which you have a strong reaction to, or you're in a situation that creates that sensory input that goes up to the brain. The brain then puts in that sense of danger, right? What you've got to recognize then is what are your triggers? So I'll give you one. I was in hospital last week um, to have a mole removed. Hospitals trigger my fight flight response. My mum, because of my mum and dad, right? Now I already know that. I've, I've slowed down enough to know this is a huge trigger for my body, which means it's going to put me into a fear state. I'm going to get anxiety and they're going to remove a mole and I'm probably going to be, <gasps> so what do I do? I recognize it. I do my breathing before I go in. I continue to regulate my breathing throughout. I take that response and I work on dampening down that stress response whilst I'm having my mole removed. Because if I don't, what's going to happen? I'm going to have more and more heightened stress and fear. So it's understanding prior to those triggers. What are your triggers? Having enough space to know who you are, to know what triggers you, which goes back to what we were saying earlier about those parts of you. If you don't know those parts of you because you're, you're avoiding them, how are you going to know what's triggering those parts of you. I guess a lot of this has been addressed already, but to a more specific point, how can you help slow down someone who is always in this go, 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 rush, rush? And what do you recommend to then help desensitize so we can then regulate it? And in that, for someone going through menopause, how can you help someone transition with that dysregulated nervous system? Kind of all tied together, but even for people not through menopause, 
it's yeah i mean i think i think ruby you know at the end of the day right the the nervous system is like the 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 kind of dial isn't it let's put it that way so if the nervous system is the dial and you're turned up full volume on that nervous system in a fight flight response and you're living in a chronic state of fight flight response you you are going to be impacting your health full stop end of right your psychological health and your physical health so first of all understanding are you living in that chronic state of fight flight are you actually being honest with yourself because i think the other thing is that we don't want to be honest with ourselves as tough as it is as tough as this is if you are in denial and not actually and if i was to sit in front of people look them in the eyes and say to them come on let's be honest are you living in that fight flight survival response and you were honest with yourself you would probably say yes now you have to say yes because if you don't and you're not prepared to actually acknowledge it nothing's going to change anyway nothing so the first step is awareness being aware of that question once you've answered yourself truthfully then i would suggest looking at i mean i do therapy right i do um i do the brain and the body because i believe a combination is needed however people you know i'm not saying do therapy um armor yourself up with your information your education so one of the things i've got on my website is the adverse childhood experiences research now i've linked that to the research in menopause so what i've done is you go through the questions and then it will give you some information based on the latest research in hormones menopause and trauma that will give you a very good indication of where you sit as painful as it is okay it gives you a score that will then be able to give you another insight as to how that trauma or my my life experiences are contributing to my heightened state of survival and then again you can then say right do i need to look at this do i need more help the second thing is the highly sensitive person there's tests on that all of the research on that is on my website go find out if you have a more sensitive nervous system because if you've got a more sensitive nervous system genetically you have a heightened stress response you have less serotonin and you have more cortisol so there are reasons for everything understanding and bringing that awareness then you can start to seek out what works for me in my life because i'm a big fan of like not everything works for everyone right you know you can't say to someone listen go and meditate and they're like well i i don't have the time okay that's not going to work but there are multiple other things i do eft tapping um i do somatic um experiencing um exercises these little tools and i tell you what i do use okay heart rate variability so that is and your ladies might be more attuned to that because when you start to look at your heart rate variability right you are going to get if you understand the data which is something i think ruby you you probably could write understanding what your body's communicating to you through your heart rate variability 
is a really good way to start to understand what's happening. And I use an app, but I've got a heart rate variability monitor, right? And I use a little tool of that. And I do, I do that one minute, one minute per day. And I sit and it gets you to breathe, right? Heart math. It's called heart math. So it's a heart rate variability. It gets you to breathe in sync and it starts to work on your heart rate variability, which again is all related to your stress response. And I think that's worth looking at. Does that help, Ruby? It really does. If any of you girls are clients of mine as well and yes. you want some help with HRB, just shoot me a message and let me know because I am highly trained in heart rate variability, so I can help with that as well. And this is also where knowing your resting heart rate can come in because you will also see a heightened resting heart rate when you are in a more stressed out space. Yes. So yeah. all this is learning that data. Yeah, because once it's really difficult, Ruby, because if you don't understand your like, it's where do you start? Right. And I've started a process and it's a process, Ruby. It's not just a quick fix. It's not just, you know, oh, um, I'm going to learn about the nervous system and then that'll be me. You have to implement the strategies, but they can be bite sized strategies. You start small. It's like what's it called? Atomic habits start with the little bite-sized achievable things and that's what I've done and then gradually layer it in and what what I would want to say is that it's not all around stress reduction don't get into the realms of thinking I've got to reduce my stress what I do and I believe in is the capacity to handle stress yes 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 it's yes increasing oh my the window of tolerance. It's not reducing your stress response. It's increasing the window of tolerance. Increase your capacity to handle stress. This is why we exercise to increase our stress because we are always going to have stresses hitting us all the time. The more that you can increase your stress tolerance and stress resilience, yeah. the better off you're going to be. And if any of you want, I will send it to you for free. If any of you want the proper ACE test score, I have that file on my computer from a course that I've done as well. I'm going to put all of Paula's resources below as well. Her Instagram will be below. The brainbodymethod.com will be below. I got Ariel Schwartz. I got She's her name brilliant. down below. Yeah, I got get, get people looking at her. She's amazing, amazing. She's my, oh my God, I can't speak highly enough of her work. She's a beautiful human being. So, you know, this is about getting the work out there. I'm not bothered about, you know, I, I have clients. I don't need a million clients. I just want people to understand this stuff. Perfect. I'm putting all this down in the resources below. And if you want the ACE test for trauma, just shoot That's me a message. Friend, yeah. And the one relative rel related to menopause is on Paula's. My, yes, because it gives yeah. you, yeah, it gives you the research on the the, I've looked at all the research on adverse childhood experiences and menopause. There's there's not much, but it's there and I've got it. And that's what I'm focusing on as well. She has a couple. I'm sure there's a newsletter in there as well that yeah. you can get through there. I visited your site before we got on as well. There's just click free resources. Lots of on resources, the videos. Yeah, there's a video on. There's, there's a workshop on there that I've done. So there's lots of free stuff. Yeah, there's lots of free stuff about sensitive brains and nervous systems. And, and, and I'm so glad we got that bit in at the end about increasing your window of tolerance because we live in a stressful world that we can't hermit away. We're not going to be. So actually look at it this way. Increase your capacity. That's how you've got to look at it. Not 
you know, not necessarily you've got to sit there and meditate. Let's increase the, the stress capacity, resilience. I'm all around growth, resilience, not, you know, that's kind of what my work is about. Yeah, and do you do EDMR online or do you have any recommendations? Yeah, I do. I can do everything online. I okay. personally can do that online. And we know now from online therapy that that's, um, there's no difference. We've got research on that. Um, but seek out somebody if you want to do something face-to-face -face with a local therapist. Look for EMDR. Look for people that do. Uh, this is my recommendations, by the way. That it's not exhaustive. Um, polyvagal theory, okay, and um, IFS. These kind of links, they all link in together. And that's how what I use. I use a kind of a linkage of these modalities. There's never one therapy that's going to solve you completely. No. You actually need the mixture. And I cannot speak highly enough of EDMR because I, that's something that I learned through my course as well. I've witnessed it in action. I've witnessed people getting it done on themselves and how much of their own, like you could see them just breaking down in their own trance for it. So highly recommend EDMR and I highly recommend IFS to get to know the inner parts of you. And this can help actually with you recognizing where your self-sabotage is yes. coming from, who's trying to protect you, who's trying to, who's trying to call the shots. There's someone within you trying to call the shots. Is it coming from a place of protection or coming from a place of attack? Exactly. And protection and survival modes, or are you moving into a connection mode we've got this other system social engagement system where you're connected you feel safe let's just put this into one thing the brain and the nervous system is designed to protect you it is a survival type of so understanding if you're living in survival mode is key to your health your well-being your training your your food your eating come on let's face it if we're in survival mode we're acting as if we're being attacked we're on defense your body is, sh you know, so it's it's kind of like when you realize that it it's a game changer. Honestly, I really do believe that. I believe I believe it, too. And it doesn't even matter what we believe because it's apparent everywhere out there. Yeah. So many people are disconnected and you see that through the way that they suffer through the day to day lives. So with that, I cannot thank you enough for coming on. We covered so much and this is so relatable. It is worth another listen because through the end, you would have gained a better insight to understand what we spoke about in the beginning. So the next time you listen to this, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah. And if you have any questions, message Paula, ask her more questions if you want her back on the show and we can organize that because it's such an important topic, so important. And so many people don't give the somatics experience enough credit for the way that we experience our lives. Is there anything else that you want to sum up with? I just want to say thank you for having me. And, um, you know, I hope people find the resources helpful. I genuinely mean this. If anyone, you know, needs help um, and they just want to ask me questions, I don't, I'm I'm a very straightforward type of person. If you need help and you want to uh, ask me a couple of questions, fire them away. I'm happy to, I speak to everyone on Instagram. I never forget. She actually means that because she responded to me straight away so thank you very much for coming on and I hope you girls enjoyed this and if you did give it a five-star rating and don't forget to share it to someone who can benefit from this and I'm sure that a lot of you have perimenopausal friends or anxious friends sensitive friends that could really benefit from listening to this conversation bye